Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello and welcome. This is Judge Jim Gray, and you're welcome to come with our show, All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Gray, wherever you are, in our great country or even around the world. We are discussing very real issues every week. And in fact, you can call any up on demand hereafter by going to the voiceamerica.com network, Variety Channel, and finding us at 7 o'clock in the morning a.m. on Fridays. And you can listen to any other show that you wish. Uh, I've listened to several of these multiple times because there's really a lot of information. We also know that there are a lot of bad things happening in the world today. And with our modern technology, it seems like we get hit in the face with them immediately. If something really terrible happens in Angola, Angola is like it's right next door. And that's true, and we can't avoid that, and we should all do what we can to to assist in time of need. However, I'm here to tell you as well, and we've done these numbers of times on All Rise, there are a lot of good things happening as well. And we're going to be listening and talking about one of those truly good things, inspirational things today uh, on what we call the Nicholas Academic Centers here in Orange County, California, that... uh, There was a good friend of mine who is still a good friend, now retired Judge Jack Mandel, who started a program in the Santa Ana Ana High School called Stay in School. And all of the program was, because this public-minded man, dedicated man, uh, started this program wherein volunteers would come in, like me, to talk at uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon to some high school students about the importance simply of staying in school and the difference between people's lives if they graduated from high school or did not graduate from high school. Not only the degree, which of course helps, but also the information and education, and then taking that beyond that and showing the difference between their lives, the impact financially and otherwise for people that graduated from high school or who went on and graduated from college. And it was just really amazing, just just outstanding. And people just didn't realize that, that they didn't see. There are a lot of people, particularly in, in some cultures, that didn't put that much value on education or you needed their child once they graduated from high school to get a job and help support the family etc but he changed that culture he showed them the possibilities and it was magnificent it was just night and day so then he went on farther and uh, actually met a fellow by the name of Dr. Henry T. Nichols Nicholas N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S the third who was a had a foundation that he established in 2006 and also, by the way, was one of the founders and presidents of Broadcom, which is an enormously successful operation. So this man is a billionaire and he also was socially motivated and so he had tried to put in a counseling and mentoring program that really didn't work. He went to one organization, good organization, but it just didn't quite work. Went to a second one who was pretty much in despair until he met Jack Mandel, Judge Mandel, and 
learned about Mandel's philosophy and what happened. It's called the Nicholas Academic Center, and it's been going on for quite a while. Right now, ably, with the with the hands on the till, hands on the reins, by its director Rosa Diaz. And Rosa is a is on our show today. She is a graduate of Allegheny College, which, by the way, was the college that Judge Jack Mandel went to. Got a master's of social work at the University of Southern California, and is actually a graduate of Judges Kids Mentoring Project. So, Rosa, thank you for being with us. Thank you for sharing your your hour here with us on All Rise, and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be on. It's it's wonderful to sort of sit here and and hear the story of, of Judge Mandel from, from your perspective. I'm so used to telling it from my perspective, and um, sometimes I, I forget, you know, how much in awe I am of, of everything that he did, not only for me personally, but everything that he's done for the countless students that he's impacted across the years. It's simply flat out true. But first, give us a little background about Rosa Diaz. Uh, what was your What was your upbringing? Uh, tell us about your educational career, and then I'll ask you how you got involved in what is now the Nicholas Academic Centers. But tell us a little bit about yourself. Don't be modest. <laughs> I I mean I I think I'm quite ordinary. I I feel that I, I am. Um, I was born. In Mexico, I was born in a small town, small fishing town in Nayarit, Mexico. I, um, my dad uh, immigrated to the United States. He moved to Modesto, California when he first came. He worked in the strawberry fields. He uh, worked uh, hard work, uh, but he came on his own. And uh, years later, my mom followed and years later, my older brother and I followed. Uh, you know, we are uh, we came here with uh, very little knowledge of anything except the fact that we were going to be reunified with my mom and my dad. Um, and later, you know, I would talk to my mom as we were in in intermediate school and learning the English language, and then in high school. And their motivation was the, the motivation of many immigrants. They wanted a better life. You know, we had, um, and I still remember because I came at the age of eight, um, I remember a different life where uh, our my counterparts, my uh, classmates were already working, uh, doing work in the fields when they were 10, 12 years old. They were helping their parents. It was common for us to go to the ranch and, and help the grandparents and help the help the uncles with crops and um, with cleaning up. And it's a very uh, rural um, upbringing. Everybody sort of pitches in. And um, and I remember my mom telling me I, I wanted to go to school, but because I grew up without money and because I was a girl in our community, that was something that um, I was not able to do. She was only allowed to go to school up to the third grade. So I she said, I want to make sure that you have opportunities that I never had, that your dad never had, and that's why we're here. And, you know, growing up, it it meant um, I grew up, um, when I came, my parents had already moved down to Santa Ana, California. They were living in in a two-bedroom house with uh, all of my uncles and another family. Uh, And at one point or another, I think my, my older brother and I, we were, you know, reminiscing on our olden days. And there was a time in our house where there was 28 of us living in that two-bedroom home. 
And that was just, you know, the nature of it. Everyone worked, sometimes worked two jobs, but because they were trying to make a living, most of my uncles, um, you know, we all came here um, illegally in the sense that we we didn't have money, we didn't have resources back home to allow us to really apply for any visas. So the only way to do it was to come here illegally at the time. And um, But it wasn't, I don't know that we ever really talked about that or we focused about that. Of course, it was the fear factor. But what we focused on was the possibilities. For us, it was the United States represented this land of opportunity where if you did things right, if you work hard, if you educated yourself, anything was possible. And and my mom was very strict. You know, she she understood that she um, she was a stay at home mom, and she that was a choice on her end. Uh, she would babysit every once in a while, but most of the time it was she was focused on us staying in school, doing well in school. Um, very much protected. Didn't get to because she was very strict. We didn't get involved in anything in our community when it comes to gangs, or we really didn't stray from the path. Uh, because she was so, you know, cautious and making sure that we were okay. But as as good as my mom was and as loving as she was, she had a, a limited understanding of what what we could do. Everything about education was theoretical. It was more about you are just, you know, as long as you did better than what I did. So the fact that I graduated um, intermediate school, that I graduated high school, that in itself was a huge accomplishment because nobody in the family had done that. My older brother and I were the first ones. And so we go through, um, as we go into the 90s, if you're familiar with the Santa Ana area, there was um, a huge uh, increase in crime. There was a lot of gang activity. It wasn't uncommon to go to sleep in my in my community and, and to hear gunshots, it was just the norm. I thought it was normal to grow up hearing gunshots every day in the evening. And I, I didn't know, I didn't know different. I, you know, the kids in my community, nobody really went to college. Some of them went to the local community college, which is what my older brother did. Um, but when it came down, you know, I still remember being in the 11th grade in high school, and I remember some of my classmates starting to talk about scholarships and about college, and I remember not being included in some of those in, in some of those um, conversations. I remember that uh, I was invited to some presentations about college from my counselors, but I also remember being excluded from presentations about some colleges. And I, I I didn't realize then what was happening, but I but I realized um, after the fact and in retrospect when I was in college that I was being excluded because I, as an immigrant and without a social security number in the 90s, as I, I graduated from high school in 99, so it says, you know, those realizations came after, but looking back in 97 and 96, it was the era of Pete Wilson in California, there was a lot of anti-immigrant rhetoric. There was a lot of, you are not going to be able to access resources, um, not to the point where you're going to be able to go to college using any sort of state or federal funding. And so in an effort to protect me and to not um, give me hopes of something that I could not achieve, I wasn't offered some of those opportunities for college. And... um, all that changed, though, because in in the in the winter, uh, late fall, early winter of my junior year, I I was part of student government. I you know I was the type of student that I was 
I always had A's. I was in AP courses. I was, at the time, the I think I was the vice president of ASV. I, I, I was just involved. I did service with my church every week. I just loved doing things just for the heck of doing something good. And um, if you looked at my resume as a kid, you would think, this this girl deserves to go to college. You know, in, in fact, in my junior year, Yale University pr- gave me an award, the Yale Book Award, because they saw promise in me. I didn't realize what that meant outside that I got, you know, all the collections of Shakespeare's work in a beautiful book that Yale publishes. But none of that had any, I didn't have any understanding what that meant or that Yale had decided that I had the promise to potentially be a Yale student in the future. All I knew is that I got a book and I wasn't messaged otherwise. But I was still involved and I was doing things that were important about moving forward and going to college. And that's what happened that, that fall of, of, um, of my junior year. I was helping out and setting up the college fair. And as I was walking down, one of the rows, um, this gentleman, this older gentleman, um, called me over and said, hey, you, <laughs> what's your GPA? And I'm thinking, like, okay, I don't know you. I'm not sure that I want to share my GPA out in the open. And um, and then the next question is, have you thought of going to college? And he had this banner with this weirdly named college, um, didn't know how to pronounce it. Now I know it's Allegheny College. Uh, never knowing that this gentleman was going to change my life, I, you know, his name is, is Judge Jack Mandel, and he said, "I, I, tell, talk to me about yourself. Tell me about what it is that you're doing." And I told him my GPA. He's like, "You should, you should really consider Allegheny. More, you know, more than anything, you should consider coming and hanging out with me. I come after school to the library, and I, I bring cookies and I bring oranges, and you should come and talk to me." And, um, you know, if there's one thing that, that, you know, for the listeners out there who may be Latino, Hispanic, is that we grow up with uh, a lot of messaging from our parents of don't trust, you don't trust strangers that just invite you to places. And so although he was very nice and very kind, I politely said, no, thank you. I'm, a, you know, I'm a, I'm a dancer and I have a lot of practice time after school, so I'm not able to. Um, the following January, one of my good friends, who was also one of the judges' kids, or is one of the judges' kids, she was our ASD president, and she pulled me aside and said, hey, I'm going to go hang out with the judge after school. Do you want to come? And I, I didn't know at the time. I didn't put two and two together, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll go. I only have like a 30-minute window before dance practice, and I, as I walk into the library, it's the same gentleman who had invited me those two months before, and um, I never realized who he was. I didn't understand. I, I don't think I had, you know, I didn't really understand what it is that they were doing with them after school. But I do remember that uh, that afternoon that I had one of the most wonderful, beautiful experiences because for the first time there was somebody that sat down with me and allowed me to engage in an intellectual conversation and listened to me and said to me, you know, you have a bright mind. Because he, he would, I mean, that was the first time that he did it, but he, I, I continued to go back to the library because he would come back from the courthouse and he would say to me and to other students who were there, I had a case today 
and let me let me lay out the argument for each of the sides, and I want you to play judge, and I want you to tell me how you would rule. And it, he would take us through this intellectual um, this intellectual conversation of and this analysis of the case, and then he would allow us to rule. And you know, to my frustrated sixteen year old mind, he would never tell me if I was right or wrong. Because he would always tell me, it's, it's not about whether you got what you think is the right or wrong answer. It's about the process and the deductive reasoning that you used to get to your answer. And so he used language that I didn't understand at the time. So I would, you know, take out the dictionary to use um, to look up some of these words. But I, he was mentoring me, and and he wasn't just just sticking to this uh, intellectual process that he was taking us through a conversation where he continued to go back to, and you need to go to college. And as a community, you need to be present at the big table and making some of these decisions. This community looks like you, and individuals that look like you need to be able to have input in how this community shifts and changes. And that's well, only going to happen through, the, through, through college. Yes, Rosa, I I have never, I've been doing this program for quite a while. I have never simply not broken in for my guest telling us so much information. (laughs) And there's a reason why I've let you do it, because it's fascinating. You've gone through so many (laughs) things, so many heartwarming things. You begin by saying, you know, I was nothing special. I was quite ordinary. Well, I'll dispute that, but we'll let that go. But, But my goodness sakes, you're living the American dream. You told us what our country is about. You've talked about your your family members, your father. I, I've seen people working the strawberry fields. I mean, that is back-breaking mm-hmm. work. And you're having you know, other people 10 years old doing the same thing. And, and I understand, but you're here to have a better life. And that's what America is about. So, so it's warming mm-hmm. to hear these things. It's warming to see that people self-select by coming to our country from somewhere else so that they can pursue the American dream. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what you've been doing. And then you talk about, oh, she couldn't get an education, my mother, because she was a girl. I know that's been traditional throughout the world for in history history, and mm-hmm. it's still that way in other countries around the world, but we're making progress on that, and, and hooray for that, because, my gracious sakes, I know a lot of a lot of women that are just, just absolutely wonderful in, in the educational mm-hmm. field. 28 people in a two-bedroom home, I mean, people don't realize what people are doing to pursue that better life, mm-hmm. and education was theoretical. Graduating from high school was huge, and I understand that. We're going to to, to just focus on what you're saying because this is so hugely mm-hmm. important and Jack Mandel is just a, a, an angel from, from having done this. So you ended up, I just I broke agree. in just to, to underscore what you're saying and I began this segment by saying a lot of bad things are going on in the world and they are but there's some good mm-hmm. things too. So keep going. Just tell us, how do you, you, you did go to college. How was that arranged? I did, I, the, I did. I know so. the answer to that, and then we'll go into the <laughs> Nicholas Academic Center as well. But just, in other words, continue. This is wonderful. Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, I, you know, I, he, he became a constant companion of my afternoons. I rearranged my dancing schedule I, I had this individual who just believed in me and who told me it doesn't matter if you're undocumented, it doesn't matter if you're a girl, 
you are um, you have a brilliant mind, and if you go to the right college, it'll be it's it's like a rust diamond. It, it they will they will varnish, and they will bring out the best in you. And you know, I there was as much as you work on all these things and positive messaging, there are also there are also other you know realities that that sort of get in the way. Without a social security number at the time, you couldn't really apply to college. Without a social security number, you couldn't access financial aid. Um, so I graduated high school uh, without having applied to four-year schools because I wasn't really eligible to apply to most four-year schools. I applied to um, our local community college. I had gotten accepted. I had received a, a scholarship from um, the Dollars for Scholars Foundation and from the Flower Foundation here in Orange County, and they had given me money. And that's where I was going to go. Um, and then in, and then it's still on, in July after my senior year, I had gone to, uh, volunteer with the, uh, Sisters of the Sacred Heart here in, in, in Santa Ana. We went up to Big Bear. We were doing outreach with youth. And so I was away for two weeks, uh, no phone at the time, you know, cell phones didn't exist. And I, I came down from the mountain, and I had mail, and I had a Social Security card waiting for me because we had, you know, the moment that we were able to to pay to be able to apply for papers, we did. But it's a long waiting process. So it took a good seven or eight years to receive a letter, and then we went through that process, and then we got, you know, two years later, I got a Social Security card. And that Social Security card, I remember getting it, and I remember talking to the judge over the phone because I called him immediately, and I said, I have one. And he said, what does that mean? I'm like, I've never had one, so I have no clue. And he says, I think it means that you can go to college. And with your permission, I am going to call my alma mater, Allegheny College, and I'm going to inquire whether it's still possible for you to apply because at every institution, there's a summer melt. Students that commit in the spring but choose not to go over summer. So there may be a spot. And if there is a spot, will you apply? And if they accept you, will you go? And it was all a phone call. And I, I didn't second guess it. I didn't even talk to my mom or my dad about it. I said, absolutely, I would. And he made that phone call. And he called me 24 hours later and said they have space. I was on a plane two weeks later. He dropped me off to college. He um, took me up to uh, meet the president of the college. All of this I thought was normal. I realize now it's a little abnormal. Most, a little? most kids don't don't get <laughs> don't get to go meet the president of the college on the first day of college and you know build a, a personal relationship with them. But he did this, and then my life shifted and changed. Uh, Financially, he, meaning the judge, provided about half of the tuition during the first two years, and the college came up with the other half of the tuition. And then after a two-year waiting period, I was able to actually apply for federal financial aid. And at that point, I, I had a more, um, my, my package came from a variety of sources, including the federal Pell Grant. Um, and scholarships from the school. So, you know, I graduated in 04. I, I majored in political science and, and Spanish literature, and I minored in philosophy. I, I came back to Santa Ana because I had been away for so many years, and I was, um, it, as much as I loved my college and I loved and I love Pennsylvania, I, I missed my culture and I, and I missed being around my family. And I started working. It was it was almost 
this natural progression where because the judge had mentored me and helped me and really radically changed the way in which my life was headed, I started doing the same for others. I started doing work with youth after school in Meadville, Pennsylvania, where my college was located. So when I came back to Santa Ana, I started doing similar work. I worked with foster children who had been removed from their household because of abuse, and I started mentoring and working with them. And then I started doing after-school programming with the program Think Together, one of the largest after-school providers um, uh, in in California. And that's where I was when I received the phone call from Judge Mando saying, Rosa, I uh, would like to meet you. I need you to come to my house, and I need you to meet me in the in the formal receiving room. And growing up, I, you know, you have to know that the judge wasn't just my mentor for college purposes. He really became a second father. While I was in college, he would visit me. While I was in college, his wife would send me a Girl Scout cookies so that I could have Girl Scout cookie parties with kids. I wasn't the only one that they were doing this for, by the way. Um, he would call me and he would inquire how my classes were doing. He really went above and beyond to make sure that I succeeded. And so it became this relationship that I wanted to, I mean, out of not only gratitude for what he had done for me, but because now it's, it's this love for this other human being who loved me back. And, and so I would visit him and I would talk to him and, and I knew because we had spent many afternoons with him and his wife at his home that there was a receiving room. <laughs> and the receiving room was only for formal meetings, and suddenly to be invited to that meeting, I was actually a little bit afraid, showed up to the meeting, and I wasn't the only one there. There were two other Hugo Gutierrez who who had been through the program with him in the library, and Rocio Chavez, who had been through the program as well. And he sat us down and he said, I met this gentleman. He is a billionaire. And he told us, you know, the story about how he hadn't succeeded in, in putting together a program uh, to help youth and that he had heard about the judge. And he had offered him half a million dollars to start an organization to formalize the mentoring program that he had had in the library. And that he felt that he was too old and too irrelevant to put this together on his own and that he wanted us who he saw as the product that he desired to create in our community to be the head of um, this new organization. And he essentially said, I'll give you full control. Of course, there's a board who's going to be you know, managing you all, but you will be here and you will, you will lead and you will create. Nothing exists. There is no building. There is no booklet. We are just, we're going to figure it out as we go, and I, we, I think we can succeed. I, you are an Allegheny, and you can figure this out. Well, and, Rosa and I just Diaz, remember thinking, you know, why we're going to come back. <laughs> yes, we're going to come back after a break. But, but what you have said so far, you have taken us the excitement, the possibilities. You know, we, we're all different people, but we're all the same in so many ways. And what has happened with mm-hmm. you is through your own experience dancing and the rest and then with Judge Jack Mandel you started realizing the possibilities and if once mm-hmm. young people realize hey I too can do this I too can accomplish that I too can be successful mm-hmm. once they realize they can that's the big thing 
and then they start doing it. So we're going to come back after this break. I was so fortunate in my life because my my parents were upper middle class. My father was an attorney, and he would come back, and we'd have the same discussions that 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 you did with Judge Mandel. He'd say, "Well, this Jimmy, this mm-hmm. is the what has happened today. What do you think? What would you do?" So that was the stimulation. So I got this at home. You had wonderful parents, but they didn't get that stimulation. If we mentor our students, they will see the possibilities. That's what the Nicholas Academic Center has been doing. We're going to come back after these messages and go right into the Nicholas Academic Center, and you're going to be proud of this organization. And we're, So do that. Stay tuned. We'll be back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back. This is Judge Jim Gray, and again, just excited to be with you and excited to hear Rosa Diaz's story about immigrants making good, coming here, pursuing the American dream, then being able to be mentored. Mentoring is a huge thing in people's lives. Able to be mentored to taking her own comment, I was nothing special, I was quite ordinary, I don't think that's true, but didn't realize the possibilities, then got some assistance, saw the possibilities, and then what happened? She was successful, and of course, she's giving back. And so that's what we're, we're hearing here on this All Rise, because she's employing those libertarian values of compassion, of assistance, responsibility, hard work, profiting from your labors, etc. So, But before we do that, as I, you're now becoming aware, uh, my wife has asked me to inject some form of humor into my shows, and so I've gotten into <laughs> lexophiles. That's L-E-X-O-P-H-I-L-E-S, lexophiles, uh, such, and they're kind of silly, but always mean something like you can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. 
Okay, that's a little silly. Or how about a thief who stole a a thief who stole a calendar got twelve months. All right. Well, that's something I I got to chuckle on one out of two. Oh, two out of two. That's good. But in the meantime, Rosa, you know, you're just you're wonderful. You can just hear the excitement, the the sophistication, the success, even in your voice. And the uh, the this show will be entitled the segment Judges Kids mentoring our students. That's the, the what we're doing here and seeing the possibilities. So you talked about a person that was going to give $500,000 for a program for Jack Mandel. Mm-hmm. What was that man's name and where did he come from? So, you know, when, when I had that, that, that meeting with the judge, I did not know Dr. Henry Nicholas III, Dr. Henry T. Nicholas III. I had not, you know, I had never heard of him. I had not talked to him. Uh, he wasn't in 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 my sphere, <laughs> but uh, he, meaning Dr. Nicholas, before we even started the the program, he wanted to meet us. He wanted to meet the three individuals that the judge had had chosen to head the organization. So I still remember going up to his home and you proposed that first time. Incredibly, incredibly intelligent human being. I had to, you know, struggle to keep up because his thought process is extremely fast. And um, but as 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 wonderful as he is, and smart, and as good work that he did in Broadcom, I found that as I saw him interact with the judge, that he they were both essentially the same individual. They they were visionaries that wanted to create change, and that they both were so invested in making a change in our community and making sure that our youth, particularly our first generation, our low-income students, our students who were living in the inner city and maybe going to some of the lower-performing high schools, that they, too, had an opportunity to access a higher education, that they knew that the promise that, that was very evident could be fulfilled if given, you know, given the the chance to access resources to a program like the one that we were about to start. So after I after I met him and I and and seeing all of them, he not only gave us the money, he also put at our disposal his project managers, everyone that was part of his enterprise. Suddenly turned around and said, "Okay, this is." I met him probably in November of 07, around November of 07. In November, during the month of November and December, it was a whirlwind of, of, of meetings with uh, his project managers, his land company managers, his tech people. And in the period of two months, we went from conceptualizing the idea of this center to opening doors on January 7th of 2008. It really was a whirlwind of ideas, and we were we we talked about you know the central theme is that we wanted to make sure that the Nicholas Academic Centers and actually they weren't even called the Nicholas Academic Centers it was just the Academic Center, and at the time he you know he said I don't want the attention of the world to be on me I don't want it to be about me so don't don't name it after me let's find out something you know let's look at different names and I still remember the meeting one of the first board meetings in that that we had that our board members said absolutely not like you you're providing the funding you're providing the resources you are creating changes in this community and others need to know that that you you have the heart to create change that others speak of and um and after you know we named it after him i, I mean it's always become 
uh, it's become now synonymous with success in our community. At the time, we knew that part of what we were creating was a a copy of what it is that the judge had done in the library, but we were formalizing it and we were trying to expand it so that it wasn't just a handful of students, but potentially grow into helping hundreds of students in our community. But we started um, in January of 08. We opened doors. We had 24 students who came in that first week. And um, we had our first graduating class in uh, June of 2009. Students had spent with us just just a year, you know, discussing. Uh, it was very much focused on mentoring, sitting down next to a student side by side, discussing with them, helping them understand their possibility. Uh, We wanted to hear their story. We wanted to meet their families. We wanted to understand where they were coming from, what is it that made them tick, what is it that motivated them to be there, because these students get up at 6.30 in the morning, they go to class, they get out at 3, and they were willingly putting themselves every afternoon in a learning environment for an additional three hours. We weren't giving them a grade. We weren't giving them um, anything tangible that, you know, you, you read about how for youth you need to give, you need to respond to the now, that they don't, you know, they're not as good about planning ahead. But these students were living proof that that's not always true, that if you give them the resources, if you give them the guidance, if you give them that, um, that love and caring and that you show them and you educate them, that they do, they they. They can see long-term. They can plan for the future. They don't just think about the latest gadget or the latest toy. They think about bettering themselves and embettering themselves, bettering their families and bettering the community. And we got that from the very beginning. We had those 24 students that graduated in June um, of '09, And since then, our numbers have just grown. We went from having... Uh, 24 graduates in the first class to having 192 graduates this past year, 11 years later, you know. So I know it, when I when I think back to the birth of the Nicholas Academic Centers, even though now we are remarkably bigger in comparison, our operations now, you know, span um, into three physical centers, we expanded. We help over 700 students on an annual basis and graduate about 200 students every year. The, the, the focus still remains, how can we mentor them? How can we get to know them individually? And how can we build a community? Because they come from Santa Ana, but at this point, they also come from the greater Orange County community. And they have one thing in common. They want a better life. They want to get a college education. And they're willing to put in the hard work. So all we have to do is provide opportunities, open doors, create meetings for them, or create opportunities for them to meet college representatives, provide tutoring so that they can better their grades, um, provide uh, therapeutic services if they're facing familial or rental health challenges, and then after they go off to college, do the same thing that the judge did for me. We do the same thing. We visit them on campus. We say, how are you doing? What are you struggling with? We make phone calls. We talk to the college um, college connections that we have and say, how can the school provide more resources to make sure that the student is transitioning into the college um, and, and that they're succeeding, that they're thriving? 
And our students, you know, for the most part, do incredibly well, incredibly well because of the okay. efforts that, that we have done with them and because of their hard work. So to kind of review the bidding, this is an after-school program that's been put in, uh, funded by Dr. Nicholas, overseen by Judge Randall, but run by all of the staff, as I understand it, are graduates of the Nicholas Academic Centers. It started with the three of you, and then you have brought in, at least most of them are graduates, but they... So they provide, yes, the love and the caring, but they also provide not only mentoring of showing the possibilities of they, you have a scholars series where you bring in visiting scholars, professors, mostly from Chapman University. You involve yourself with higher education. You invite yourself with the, the academics, cultural, social. It's a whole life-changing experience. So they get this tutoring. You have computers there. You have tutors there. You talk to them and, and help mm -hmm. them, show them the possibilities. So what happens after mm -hmm. they graduate? What are your percentages of your graduates that go on to institutions of higher learning? Rosa Diaz, graduate of the Judges Kids <laughs> Program. So, uh, so I just to, to 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 do clarify. I want to clarify that about half of our staff are graduates at this point, but the other half are also committed individuals that have been with the organization. Some some longer than others, but they um, it's a mixture at this point. When we first started the organization, our kids were too young, our youth were too young to really come back and work for us. But you know, they started joining us about five six years ago after we had our students. Um, graduate from college. We we wanted to bring them back because they are examples of the success of the program and because they're just amazing humans too and amazing workers and co-workers. We, you know, we currently, uh, so far we've graduated um, 1,286 students in, in the 11 years that we've been open. Um, we have, you know, uh, fortunately enough over the years, our students, because they have done so incredibly well, uh, and because they've applied themselves and uh, they have received collectively our, our 1,286 graduates have received over $72 million in grants and scholarships from um, outside scholarships, from foundations, from the colleges themselves. Uh, we have... Um, we have, you know, just, and this is the 72 million, by the way, it does not include the $8.4 million that Dr. Henry Nicholas has donated personally to each of, to our students in scholarships. He, you know, he gives money up to $20,000 for our students to be able to pay for tuition, room, room and board. And, and it makes an, a huge difference because sometimes our students don't think that they're capable of, of, um, of being able to pay for tuition, for being able to pay for a winter jacket, and because of Dr. Nicholas's largesse, we're able to pay for that. In total, he's given over $25 million for scholarships and operations of the NAC over the 11 years. All of that has translated into an incredible success. Our students you know, of course, graduate from high school. It, it isn't a. I'm, I don't. I don't think there's ever a question. A hundred percent of them graduate from high school. Ninety-six percent of them are first generation, meaning their parents didn't go to college. They are, you know, overwhelmingly Latino. Ninety-seven percent of our students are Latino, um, Hispanic heritage, and they are also low-income students. So they come from an underrepresented community that uh, very seldomly goes off to four-year colleges, but at this point, just looking at our graduation rates, about, you know, it, it, it varies 
by year, but it really ranges anywhere between 73 to 80% of our graduates who who go through our program go directly into a four-year university. This is this is a huge huge difference in comparison to to the percentages presented in our local community and the state of California. Um, and not only are they going to college at a higher rate than other students in our community, they're also graduating from college at a higher rate. All those students that go to four-year schools, you know, typically you, you look at the, the national percentages. If you look at students who come from underrepresented backgrounds who are low-income, who are first-gen, within a six-year mark, typically about 11% finish college within a six-year mark. However, at our program, for students to graduate, 82% of them graduate within six years. And when we track them over time and, and don't put that six-year cap and you look into the eighth or the ninth year, because for some students, the reality is that they are working full-time. They are helping the family, so they can't go to school um, full-time. They'll take two or three classes at a time. It goes and climbs up to the 90%. that they, you know, it's... They're hard workers, but at the you know the heart of this is that we have our academic operations, our academic directors who do a wonderful job with our students, our social work therapists who meet with our students and their families, our college access folks who make sure that students are applying for college, that they are you know meeting college representatives, that they are turning in those applications at financial aid. We also have a college success component. The individuals that follow them through college that, you know, oversee the scholarship, that check in with them. And, and all of that translates into students knowing that we care, that the mentoring component doesn't stop just while they're in high school, that it goes beyond. And as a result, they've, you know, they've gone to institutions all over the nation. We have, of course, students that go to UCI, UCLA, UC Berkeley, Cal State Fullerton, Long Beach, but we also have students at Stanford, and we also have, you know, students at Allegheny College, our alma mater, at Morningside College. We had um, our first student go into Yale this year. We have students at Connecticut College, and they really, you, you give them wings and they fly. That's what the judge used to say, and it has turned into this with, you know, with the philanthropy and, and the great, great donations and support that we've received from Dr. Henry T. Nicholas and with the guidance and vision of um, Judge Mando and our board of directors who, who, who come in and, and provide guidance and support, our students, you know, and the hard work of all of our wonderful staff, they have done remarkably well. You know, our first and second class, you can really see what happens when you give them opportunities. You have, you know, one of our, our, our students from our second class, he is now a vice principal at a charter school in Watts um, up in L.A. Uh, we also have a, a young woman from also our second class who's currently finishing her Ph.D. in chemistry at Purdue University. We have students who are uh, our teachers. We have students who are engineers. Uh, and they're no longer students. They're adults. They're getting married. They have children. But they, they, they went through this program. They went through... Um, these colleges, they are not only doing this, but also giving back themselves. Some of our students are overseas in the Philippines or um, in Africa doing work with Peace Corps. Some of our students have done Teach for America. 
And and at the heart of some of those conversations that I have with our alumni who come back and visit and talk to other students or come back and, and, and visit and talk with our staff is that their life changed because we believe in them, because their parents believe in them, because they met other individuals in their college that were instrumental. A lot of it goes down to that mentoring component, that they found individuals who were their cheerleaders, who rallied around them and said, you can do this. If you work hard, if you put time and effort, you can do this, and I am here to facilitate and help whatever ways that we can to make sure that you succeed. Absolutely. And they did. Rosa, they, you know, that's yes, good that's Rosa, going on. you have. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you again because this is so exciting. And just to recap a little bit, what did you, what percent yes. did you say graduate from the, if you're graduates of the Nicholas Academic Center, what percent of those graduate from a four-year institution within six years? What did you say? Eighty-two percent, and if you mm-hmm. and there, many of them are working full time. Eighty-two percent graduate from, and okay, there are not many people like Dr. Henry Nicholas, who's just a, a godsend to to these groups. But okay, he has spent twenty-five million dollars total, and some of that you say is like eight point four million dollars for gap funding. What does that mean? Well, you right. know, if you're going to go to Allegheny College from Santa Ana, that's in that's in Pennsylvania. Uh, is for you have to fly to get there. Uh, and by the way, like you said, they don't have an overcoat. I mean, you're not going to, so there's gap funding that Dr. Nicholas helps them with as well. But if you total it, and I did this computation while you were talking, you have 1,286 student graduates in 11 years from the Nicholas Academic Centers. He spent $25 million. So he is positively changed the life of 1,286 students for a little more than $19,000 a student. What an investment. And by the way, now, like you're saying, that has a positive thing because they go out and keep giving as well. I mean, you're dedicated to this. You're devoting your life to now doing what Judge Mandel was doing. And and it spreads. So, you know, you you, you mentor one person. It just has. It's just marvelous. Now, there aren't. There are not many people that can afford to spend $25 million, and, and like Dr. Nicholas, it's just amazing. But there must be some people out there, some foundations out there that do have money. This is something that they need to hear about. Where can our listeners go to get more information? There must be a website. You can give a phone number, something so that if there is a Ford Foundation out there or a Henry Rockefeller or whatever, John Rockefeller, <laughs> where can they go for more information, Rosa? Well, they can find us on our website at www.nacenters.org, N-A as in Nicholas Academic, nacenters.org, and there is information there for our three locations, including stats and all that that I mentioned today. They can also call us at our um, home office. That's, uh, our phone number there is 714, area code 714-834-0521. They can just ask for me. They can ask for Hugo, who's still with us, Hugo Gutierrez. Um, or they can talk to really any of the wonderful staff and redirect them to me to have a conversation. We would love, you know, we've been blessed that we have had other donations from individuals like Doreen Dominguez, who heads a veneer construction company up in L.A., who's been a godsend and and that she gives scholarships to make students, uh, to help our students go to pre-college programs at Notre Dame. Uh, we've also received um, some funding from the Watkins Foundation. We've received some funding from the Hyde Foundation. And But, you know, we um, it, 
we would love to see this replicated in other locations. Uh, I know that Santa Ana, uh, the Santa Ana uh, School District would love to have a fourth center in one of our other high schools, but it does, it does take quite a bit of money. So we would welcome anyone who is willing to, to provide additional support that can help us expand the operations. You know, we have a wait list at each center of over two, 300 students of that, Unfortunately, because of physical capacity, we, we can't let them in. Sure. So well, having the funding to, to add more would be wonderful. Are any of the students ever dropped from the program because they do not uh, take it seriously enough, Rosa? We have had um, the vast majority are stay and we keep. We have had a handful of them that we do end up dropping from the program. Sometimes it has more to do with um, them being unable to, to meet the commitments. We have high expectations of our students. We want them to be able to come in for academic counseling, come in for tutoring, come in for college guidance, and, and we want them to take advantage of the resources and to keep their grades up. We don't, we don't really care where you come in academically, but we care where you go. And if you take advantage of the resources and the mentoring, you are going to improve. You are going to go to college. And every so often, like, we'll have a student who just, you know, we, we offer them the opportunities, but, and we offer them the counseling, but they seem to not be ready for that. And, and at that moment, because we have so many students who are waiting to get in, it feels, it feels wrong to keep them on knowing that there are students who will not get an opportunity. So we have, but it's, it's very few. Most of our students are, you know, I would say over, over, over 98% of our students actually do stay, and we, we're grateful that they stay because they go on to do wonderful things. I should say, you know, and I, I will take just a very short, modest bow. Uh, I was a, have been a member on your, your uh, board of directors, and I was encouraging the NAC to have a paper, you know, a, a newspaper, it can be by email, of course, of your success stories, mm-hmm. of keeping the, the graduates a part of the operation and to inspire mm-hmm. your current students with, hey, this was somebody just like me. Now he's graduating from mm-hmm. Yale or from wherever, and this is what he's mm-hmm. doing. Uh, that inspiration just has to help. So you bring back your graduates to uh, okay. to show that this too can happen to you. Do you not? Don't you incorporate the mm-hmm. graduates? We do, we do. So we bring them back uh, for different times of the year. In the winter in particular, in particular, we bring them back for an alumni panel where they come in and, and talk and tell the students, uh, talk to our underclassmen about their story of how they got to college, if they're in college, how they're doing. Uh, most recently, especially because we've seen just the careers uh, of our alumni take off, uh, we just published uh, our our annual NAC booklet, and it it has uh, just stories from the class of 2009 and 2010, and it follows a couple individuals and what they're doing. Uh, If you go to our website at nacenters.org, you'll also find some profiles for some of our alumni. We want want to follow up with them, not only because we still genuinely care and want to know what it is that's going on in their lives, but because... Um, you know, in this world where so many things do seem to go wrong, and at least that's what's painted out there, um, they are living proof that in spite of difficult, sometimes horrific circumstances, 
you can overcome and you can become a positive voice in our community and create positive change. And, you know, these students and their siblings who most mostly also join the program after they see their older sibling go through the program, it changes. You know, the moment that you give one member of, of a family unit a college education, a college degree, they've shown, studies have shown that the family as a whole also then the children, the, the cousins also go on to are more likely to get a college degree. The economic situation in the family unit gets better. So it, there's a lot of good, and, and we try to profile it to make sure that others know that that good exists. Well, Rosa Diaz, thank you for being with us. Thank you for being that inspiration. Thank you for sharing your story with us. It is, it's the Nicholas Academic Center, and this Judge Jack Mandel is a saint from my standpoint, and Dr. Henry Nicholas is a saint from my standpoint, and now they are passing along the sainthood, the wings, as it were, to Rosa Diaz, who is now passing them along to others. Did you hear her? This past year, June of 2019, from the Nicholas Academic Center, 192 graduates who are now, most of them going on to four-year universities, of whom we can expect that 82 to 90 percent will graduate from those institutions. It never would have happened. You give people wings, never they will happened. fly. So, so, so <laughs> thank fly. you for all of that. As we said at the beginning of this, and I hope everyone listening is inspired by this story, and if you want more information, go to www.nacenters.org. It stands for Nicholas Academic Centers, nacenters.org. You will be inspired. So that's what we do here on All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray, employing these libertarian values. You notice government's not involved with any of this. It's all from private individuals and hooray. People that are inspired are mentoring our children. And if we do that, we will literally all rise together from wherever we became from wherever we come. We're living the American dream and passing it along. So yes, some bad things are happening in the world, but you heard it here. Some really good things are happening as well. So thank you, Rosa Diaz. Thank you to Judge Mandel. Thank you to Dr. Nicholas. And you'll we'll talk to you again next week on All Rise. In the meantime, this is Judge Jim Gray saying, life is good. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen my bonds that help us control. We are American law. Strengthen my bonds that help us control.